Hey, it's on. Uh, g'day, folks. Robbo here. Um, I've got a little bit of a confession to make. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, as you're probably aware, Gaz and I have been trying to Christmas up the Mojo Show, and we've been having a bit of fun recording some Christmassy bits and pieces. But uh, with all the uh, the Christmas cheer this week and the work and everything else going on, I've just sat down to produce the show tonight, Friday night, and just realised that I totally forgot to send AP this week's opener. So. Uh, what I figured I might do was, uh, if you're all cool with it, is just play you 30 or 40 seconds of my favourite Christmas carol. Hopefully get us all in a, a mojo, Christmassy sort of mood and, uh, and then we can get the show rolling. So um, without any further ado, here's uh, The Pogues and Fairy Tale of New York. So there you go, I look inside the uh, the twisted mind of the producer of the Mojo Radio Show. Uh, a, song, a Christmas song about a couple arguing about Christmas. Kind of does it for me, very clever. There's actually a bit of a story behind it. The story goes that uh, Elvis Costello, who produced uh, one of the band's records, made a bet with Shane McGowan, who's the lead singer of the Pogues, that, uh, that he couldn't write a, a Christmas duet in, uh, in time for, for Christmas. Uh, this was back in, uh, in 85, I think. And uh, apparently that was the result. Now, I just reckon, true or not, that's just a, a fantastic story anyway, and uh, it's certainly the one that I'm going to stick with. Anyway, all that aside, though, let's get into this week's show. Oh, and do me a favour, don't tell Gaz that I forgot to get the intro voiced. Hey everybody and Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. So um, so what's the show all about? Well, we like to find people that we think are interesting, that we can draw from them their tips and tools to help you get your mojo working in and out of work. So it's about creativity, it's about health, fitness, learning, productivity, performance, you name it. If we think we can find people who can add some mojo to your world, then we interview them and bring them on the show, the Mojo Radio Show. Before we start, let's talk to the man who holds the whole thing together. He is the glue. He is the blue tack of the Mojo Radio Show, Robbo uh, in the studio. How you going, buddy? I'm going well. I, um, I prefer to think of myself as gaffer tape, though, if that's okay with you. <laughs> hey, um, I've got some really interesting research mm-hmm. to start the show with. Great. And it's from the New York Times. Mm. Now, 
I don't don't let that fool you to think that I am the sort of person who reads the New York Times often. <laughs> you found it on Facebook, was, didn't you? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I did. But it's just fascinating, Robert, because the story, and I'll, I'll post a link on the show notes mm. at themojoradioshow.com. Just go to shows and go to the pull down for um, this episode. Mm. And the, the heading of it is, what if age is nothing but a mindset? Now, you know, we've talked about, oh, it's all in the mind, and you've heard quotes like, mm. age is only important if you're a cheese. Yep. Well, this is some study done, and I, I, it was fascinating. It was by a, a professor who is now 67 years old, and her name is Ellen Langer, and she is the longest-serving professor of psychology at Harvard. Mm. So here's what they did. They took a group of old blokes. There were eight men, and they were all in their 70s. And they basically took them to a converted monastery in New Hampshire. And these blokes were all suffering from arthritis. A couple of them had canes. They weren't terribly mobile. And the idea was they put them into a time warp. And in this monastery, kind of they walked through the front door and there's Perry Como playing on an old vintage radio. (laughs) Ed Sullivan was welcoming people on a black and white TV. Everything inside, like the books, the magazines, the music, everything conjured up 1959 Mm -hmm. with the idea that they were taking these old blokes back to when they were young, virile, strong, spunky young men. Mm. So essentially it was their home for five days and this experiment done by Ellen Langer was to to see what would happen if you change the environment of these guys for a week. Now, science is only good if you've got data. Hmm. And before they arrived, the men were tested for dexterity, uh, grip strength, flexibility, hearing, vision, memory, cognition, the closest things they could kind of get to biomarkers of one's age. Hmm. And... The idea was to say, well, if you immerse people in this environment for five days, could you change those biomarkers? Now, it's important with science, you also run a control group. So in a monastery, they also had a control group who weren't taken back to that era. They were just there for a five-day holiday. Hmm. And the results were fascinating because what they found was that in that five days, when they measured all the biomarkers coming out, Essentially, Ella Langer said that by putting their mind into an earlier time, their bodies went for a ride. And the results showed that these guys walked out and they were, they were taller, they were moving better, they were healthier in comparison to all the biomarkers simply by putting them into this environment for even a short period of time. Wow. And, yeah, it was fascinating. And... What's really interesting is that the results were so good that Ellen Langer didn't want to publish them because she didn't believe that people would actually pick up on it and believe it. Mm. I just like this because it's such an unusual study and in the article which I will post, you will see that they have done this in a number of different scenarios, all of which had very profound outcomes. What do you reckon about that? That's insane, isn't it? There's some clever people out there. And 67 and still a professor. How, well, you're always a professor, but still teaching. Yeah. How awesome is that in itself? It really is no different to the placebo effect where there's a control group who gets sugar tablets and mm. another group who believe they got medicine, which are just sugar tablets and so mm. on. So it's no real difference to that type of 
of um, science and research. This is just to do with our environment. So when you and I are kicking around our um, flock of seagulls <laughs> and our uh, early Akhtung baby mm. and so on and taking us back to a period of our lives that we, we quite remember fondly, mm. um, we're actually doing ourselves a service. We're fighting the ageing process. <laughs> <laughs> so I will um, I'll post that story because I think it's a cracker. That's awesome. Hey, do you reckon, just quickly, do you reckon, though, that they needed a good supply of incontinence pads? Uh, that was not in the maybe it's in the maybe it's in the notes at the back of the article. I tell you one thing it was pretty cool though. Apparently, she said when the men left mm. the monastery and mm. they were about to get back in the bus to leave, mm. um, an impromptu game of football broke out oh, on cool. the grass, <laughs> and the awesome. blokes were having their own game of footy because. So I reckon there's something to to wearing the old rugby jersey from yeah, 20 years ago right. and watching the reruns of grand finals from the 80s and mm. going back and watching old concerts you might have been at, you know, with the, the voodoo lounge tours with the mm. Stones, you might have been there at Adelaide Oval. And so I think there's something in all that stuff, particularly if you could immerse yourself emotionally into it. Yeah. Now, whether the time period needs a short period of time or a five days or a month or whatever, but... You, you have to, with this study, you have to go back and think about the power of uh, school reunions, the power of going back through your photos, the power of going back and meeting with mates and going back and recalling stories, mm. putting on the old clothes, going to fancy dress, dress ups, you know, for an era you came from where the music is from there. There must be, it sounds like. Um, there could be some value in that for mm. the ageing process. But I don't think I want to put my old 80s clothes on, though. <laughs> Would they still fit? Uh... <laughs> I had this hot pair of white jeans, I remember. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, better, better visual. <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to Miami Vice. Oh, yeah. You know, well, with that the, was with almost the, the round neck pink <laughs> shirt, the white suit and the deck shoes. Wasn't a good look. I was... I was I was crocket. I was happening, <laughs> and I had the <laughs> convertible car, the whole bit. Ooh, oh, I see. Yeah, we don't want a visual on that. We're no. not going to post anything on that. I think we should start the show on that note. Let's get into it. What do you want off Santa Claus this Christmas? Maybe I might get mousetrap. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. A brat stall, and that's all I can think of so far. <laughs> a sweatsuit and a surfboard. Lego. Uh, Put in Polly Pocket. I'm not sure. I would like a computer, skateboard, a car, a new car. That's the jingle bell. So, Robo, um, tell me, have you done the, the bridge climb in Sydney? No, I haven't, and I'll tell you why. I have a massive fear of a free-falling, watery death. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I'm really not interested. For those uh, international listeners that we have, uh, the two of them that are listening, um, the, the bridge climb is in Sydney, and it's a, a fantastic climb that goes up over the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which is one of the world's great experiences. I can tell you I've done it a couple of times. And you basically are at the top of this beautiful bridge on the world's best harbour. And we are fortunate today, Robbo, to have um, the guy that runs Bridge Climb, and it is one of the world's great attractions. He's got a fascinating history in attractions. Um, he runs a, 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 just a really cool operation. They do things quite differently. And being one of the world's best attractions in one of the world's best cities, we thought it'd be a really good chance to catch up with Todd. 
talk about some of the secrets and also um, see if we can't find a cure for your, what is it, watery? Fear of a free-falling watery death. (laughs) So we're going to fix that. (laughs) Todd Coates, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, buddy. Hey, good day, guys. Thanks so much. And Todd, isn't it true that it's not the fall, it's the sudden stop at the bottom? (laughs) Yeah, look, it is that sudden acceleration that's that's a little bit harmful. Um, Our climb leaders like to say it's about five seconds from the top of the bridge to the water. <laughs> so, so Todd, you've always been, um, in my mind, a man who's about measurable. <laughs> so, we might come back to that five-second measurable a bit, a bit through our chat, mate. Um, just to give the audience a chance to understand Todd and your journey so far. Tell us about your history in the attraction business. Yeah, Gary, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm one of these guys who never really knew what he wanted to do when he when he grew up. And um, fair to say, I still don't. Um, another way I describe it is I've been like a dog chasing a car in many ways. Um, I went to university. I did a Bachelor of Arts, as I otherwise call it, a Bachelor of Anything. And, you know, I needed to pay the rent and pay the booze bill, as you do. Um, and to achieve that, I, I, I got a job at Luna Park in Sydney um, running rides. And I, yeah, the thing that I didn't expect from that was to... I was starting to be an actor at the time, and the thing I didn't expect was just to fall in love with this Luna Park place and the history of it and just the whole idea of and the whole experience of giving people fun. And look, from there, it really has been a dog chasing a car. Um, I've had the chance to do... I call it my Masters of Attractions in, in theme parks, and great thing about theme parks, they're like small towns, you know, and... If you run a theme park, you're the mayor of a small town, but unlike the mayor, you mm. actually just you do everything. You and your team do everything. And um, they're wonderful places to work in, in 20 different departments and just learn this incredible, incredible range of skills. So from Wonderland to um, an attraction in Darling Harbour back to Wonderland, eventually they, you know, someone gave me a shot as the, as the CEO at Wonderland. And... Um, Timing timing is everything, of course, Gary, as, as, as you know. And a year, a year after I was appointed CEO of Wonderland, the business was sold to a Malaysian company for as part of a property development. And um, now that had kind of summed up my experience in the first fifteen years of my career. I mean, it was fifteen years of you know roller coasters and Scooby Doo and all sorts of amazing experiences. But um, none of the businesses I'd been involved with had ever made a, a brass razoo. And um, I remember making the trip to the Wonderland board every month to hold out our collective hands for some more cash to keep the business going. And, you know, you learn a lot from those experiences. Luna Park, the Darling Harbour one, the Wonderland one, all of them, all of them lost money in the the versions I was involved with. But um, that really gave me all that, all that hard stuff and getting my ass kicked left, right and centre in business, but still providing these fun experiences really, I think, made me ready or, or set me up um, for that sort of serendipitous moment when I met Paul Cave, um, the chairman and founder of Bridge Climb. So that's interesting. So obviously what I'm hearing is that you, it's important to do what you love and that gets you through the hard times. So I think, and knowing you well and having seen you do your work, it really is it's it's great to see somebody who just loves the their, the industry they're in the category they're in. But so you had some goods and bads through that period in attractions, and then you met Paul. Why did you think the bridge climb could work? Because there were a lot of naysayers, weren't there? 
There are an incredible number of nice shows. Yeah, he'd been working yeah. on this thing for 10 years when I first met him. I was pretty plugged in, I thought, to the industry and what was going mm. on. I had no idea he'd been doing this. It was mm. extraordinary. And, and I remember one of the things he shared with me with one of his other shareholders, Brett Blundy, who's uh, the, the founder of Sanity Music and Bras and things. And he shared with me that they had been to 43 financial institutions up until that point, and every single one had said no to funding his project. Um, yes. Paul, but, but I, I got it. I got it straight away, Gary. As soon as he told me mm. what he was about to do, it's like you, you do that incredible Homer Simpson doll. This is just the most simple idea, but everyone's going to want to do this. So I, I just saw immediately what he'd been, what he'd mm. obviously seen for a long, long time. So is it fair to say then you bought into Paul's dream? When you say you saw what he saw, was it a fact of you understanding his dream and then you sharing the dream of wanting to help him make that dream happen? Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. It's fair to say that A, I got his dream. B, as we talked, um, look, I I can understand it now. I couldn't have expressed it back then. But we kind Mm. of both believed in the same things. Paul starts with the customer. Um, he has a fundamental value. The profit arises from your principles. He and I didn't couldn't have expressed it at the time, but the way he talked about what the fundamentals of the business would be, or what I call the soft side, the allegedly soft side, it's actually the stuff that's really hard. But the vision, the mission, the purpose he had for the business, I really got that if you got these things right, he was in a in a very entrepreneurial way about mm-hmm. doing something that would totally disrupt tourism. It would also be a business where the profits really would arise from the principles. I, that really resonated with me. I couldn't name it at the time, but I thought that's what I'm about. And mm. Paul's the entrepreneur. He's the guy, the classic entrepreneur who could create something from nothing. I was the classic operator, so it was kind of the classic outside guy, inside guy sort of sort of relationship. And I could see how I could fit in as the inside guy for him. Pricing pricing was a, was a an interesting challenge for you guys, wasn't it? I mean, there were a lot of people who had opinions on attractions and pricing. And you guys really had a yeah. different approach and, and, and challenged it. So tell me, just tell us the story about how that came about and what the lessons were for you. Yeah, look, that's a wonderful story. And it came out of all those hard years. Um, I, I remember the first day I started at Bridge Climb and Paul handed me his pile of market research. It was a good 12 inches high. Very reputable marketing firm, global firm. Um, they'd done this amazing array of quantitative and qualitative and all those other scientific term stuff to show people what this was and, and what would you be prepared to pay. And then the research said this. It, it said that half a million people a year would do this at, at $50 a head. Now, to cut, you know, to try to get to the core of the story, what I'd learned after all, all my ass-kicking <laughs> in attractions is that we were in a market that was the last train station at the end of a very long train line in global terms. Um, we get half a percent of global tourism in this country, and it's a very small domestic market. And at number one, there wasn't a market for half a million people a year. Number two, at $50, and this is where a lot of my other businesses had had gone wrong and we'd learned our lessons, at $50 a head, um, we wouldn't be able to cover the basic cost to to make the experience happen. So the choice became, it was ignore everything that you'd been told in the research, ignore everything. And 
and, and immediately get, well, what is the right answer? And the right answer was, hey, let's turn the Sydney Harbour Bridge from being a postcard into an absolute bucket list experience. What does that look like? What type of experience is that going to be? What does it have to be end-to-end? And therefore, it will have this value. I mean, this, we kind of understood this could be something absolutely priceless. And just take a step away from our, our the usual way we looked at it in our category, which was it's all about volume, it's all about bums on seats. Um, it was a pretty simple decision, but mm. everything... Everything, everything since has turned on that, that moment. Okay, this is about being bucket list. This isn't about volume. Just talk me through that. Um, you wanted to go from being, I love that, from, a, from a, a postcard to an experience. Give me some, some classic examples of, that you had learned over the years from attractions. Give me some classic examples of what anybody who hasn't done the climb can expect or those of us that have can go, oh, yeah, I remember that, I get it. What, what were those or a couple of nuggets, Todd, that justified it going from 50 or 60 bucks to what you're currently charging, where it's super successful, people are wanting to do it, it's an iconic attraction. Are there are a couple of things yeah. that you remember from the start. In, in the fundamentals, it starts with the fundamentals, so the, the purpose of the business or the, the reason we exist. And Paul had this really clear in his head, and I really got it. We're going to make a hero of the bridge, and we're going to make a hero of every customer. So mm. right from that one fundamental that we are going to make heroes, you're very clear about what this is about. This is about people. The second thing was understanding that to do that, it would have to be end-to-end, and that was a real change from our industry where, you know, the logistics the logistics have been in tourism, whether it's going through an airport or getting ready for a cruise or getting ready for a tour, you know, the logistics are the logistics are the boring bit. We actually understood that the the logistics, as you call it, would actually be the experience um, and, and that this thing would be logistics, toys, all that stuff would actually make this as much as the as what you would do on the bridge. So this is before, we, this is before you get to the bridge, right? This is, this is the stuff we do getting ready. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the stuff you do getting ready, the actual check-in, and then, you know, stuff that superficially can sound like, oh, gee, that just sounds like it's a lot of rigmarole. Um, doing your declaration form, um, getting your breath tested, um, getting kitted out for your suit, then getting all the gear and, and, and safety equipment and metal detection and all the stuff you have to do to go out on the bridge. That actually mm-hmm. is the stuff people go in, wow, this is wow, I've never done anything like this before, but it was understanding that little bit. Maybe I got that a little bit out of the theatre stuff, that this could be a show from start to finish and that every part of the experience sort of made part of the whole. Um, The other thing I really, and it was, again, not something I could have expressed at the time, but it was the Mm, way that mm. Paul expressed it that I kind of got this. Turn things upside down. He was, Paul's a real disruptor. You know, how can you actually challenge challenge or disrupt the status quo or the paradigm in industry. So here's the classic one, um, the weather. Um, mate, Gary, I know you're out on a farm and, and Robbo, Gary and I have this joke sometimes when it's pissing down rain <laughs> in Sydney. I'm, you know, obviously Gary's got this huge grin on his face and well, we're not grinning as hard, typically, typically in our industry and, and the other way around. But um, I learned something from those years in attractions. You know, you'd wake up in the morning in a theme park and it's pouring rain and you'd know that maybe 100,000, 150,000 of revenue was gone. And, of course, all your kids, all, all your team were still going to be at work that day. Um, 
turn things upside down. And the one thing we understood right at the very start of this thing, this is an outdoor experience. And number one, the weather is the experience. The weather is the experience. And that simple understanding that you tackle things head on and you turn it upside down. Um, and really what that meant right from that very beginning was we, we just worked, everything we designed, everything we did was about getting you out in the weather, getting you comfortable in the weather, and then defeating that little thing we've all been told since we were, you know, two years old, don't go out in the rain. We're all about taking you out in the rain and having a really, really good time. Um, you know, Paul had another a similar one too. I came from businesses where you'd get defensive about customer complaints. Paul said, no, 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 no. Please complain. Please mm. complain. And it's one of the great things I've learned from all, all the, the failures I've been involved with and participated in and contributed to sometimes that, you know, you have to always be a student and always ready to learn. And your customers are going to ones who are going to teach you the really, really good stuff. They're the sorts of things that, that sort of stick in my mind, Gary, I guess, or, or, or hang out there. Um, we, um, Robbo and I are involved, well, actually... <laughs> I'm not, but Robbo is. Gonna I'm going to take some ownership. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're involved, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we, Robbo coaches an under-11 under 11 rugby team, Todd, and uh, we, we make a point of every show of getting some nuggets that he can take away because Robbo is one of the best coaches in the world. Hmm. And um, <laughs> But it's interesting, Robbo, that one you take away those... <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not a God, the God. Um, uh, but it's interesting. You could take those things like, you know, please complain to the, to the kids. It's an interesting philosophy because we normally don't want kids whinging and talking about it or, um, you know, the weather is the experience because, you know, Todd gets his best research, his best reviews and his most satisfied customers on the worst days of weather that you and I are inside and people are going, whoa, this is cool. Well, the, here's the interesting thing is that you say to any of the 15 boys in my rugby team, it's belting down with rain, but we're still playing today. Hands go up in the air here and it's, yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you bang on. You bang on, Robbo. We have it trained out of us somewhere. That's right, don't we? We have it beaten it? out of us, not just trained out of us. Mother's saying, you know, you'll get a cold and wear your raincoat and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's, it's very funny. That's, that's true. It actually works for your advantage because it naturally when, when someone comes to bridge climb and it's raining, we can't help our programming. Our expectation is going to be, I just took my 10-year-old nephew up a couple of weeks ago and it was mm. raining. And naturally, the ex, my sister was saying, oh, you know, can, can, can we reschedule? I said, absolutely not. We're, we're out there. Mm. But yeah. their expectation is naturally lower. But he just had the most amazing time, and and he's not he wasn't programmed like the adult. It's such a good point. It's programmed out of us, isn't it? That's you know, kids. I remember when I was playing rugby up in um, up in Innisfail, up in North Queensland, and because Innisfail is one of the wettest places in, in in Australia, we were always in the mud. And I I pity poor mum having to get the whirlpool out to wash all our dirty clothes. But then. As you get older, suddenly rain is a nasty thing, and you stay inside, put the brollies up, you know, run to keep out of it. Yet, conversely, 
in the country areas, it rains and people are walking at it because they love it. They just want to celebrate it. So it is a conditioning thing, isn't it? It is conditioning. You know, we, we, we just had our quarterly celebration out here and I was, I was thanking the team. I was just saying to them, because what, what does happen is the team put a lot more energy in. You know, they really burn the calories and burn the mental energy to make it great. But like you said, Gary, it's, it's always amazed me. 91% of our customers fill in feedback forms and the ratings on the the rainy days are always better than on the clear days because you've just mm-hmm. had that. You've come with that low expectation and you've been completely, completely surprised. It's, and they're probably turning up because they've paid the money and they go, what the? And they get there and probably in the back of their mind go, uh, but once they've done it, they're glad they did it. It's the same as the kids. The kids just have a different approach, don't they, Robbo? The kids, like when it rains, they just want to get out there and muck around like kids and they probably love it. Yeah. Thursday night training, if it's raining, at the end of training, if they're not dirty, there's a huge big mud puddle in the south corner of the field and they're all over there diving in it. <laughs> <laughs> And meanwhile, mum's standing at the grandstand going, Johnny, get out of the mud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're, not getting in my, you're not getting in my land cruiser like that, Johnny. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you must be real popular then. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I was just going to say it's weird that like the dry, one of the driest continents on earth and yet we get paranoid about rain. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, yeah but it's conditioning. Now. It's, it's, it's only certain parts though, Robbo. It's only the city... It's very interesting that uh, there's definitely there's definitely something in that, and I think anybody listening could apply that to any part of their world. Where we we get conditioned to things, and it's probably worth consciously thinking about what we condition ourselves to, to take ourselves out of that comfort zone, to decondition ourselves, because it probably opens up a whole bunch of possibilities with health and fitness and family and that whole getting uncomfortable and, and kids get it right. I mean, kids are born genius. It's what we do to them that sucks all the genius out of them. That's the, that's the challenge. Hey, um, yeah. j- just uh, Todd, uh, you spoke of Paul and I know you're a huge fan of Paul and one of Australia's great entrepreneurs with a great backstory of his own. What are some of the things you've learned from Paul that you've applied to your own, your own personal world? So, We've spoken about the business things and there's some amazing learnings. What are some of the things you've taken out that you've applied to your own thinking or your own approach to business or your own personal life? Um, three that come to mind. I, I heard Paul. Paul's been a director of the Domino's um, public business for the last nine years as well. And I remember a story he related um, about meeting some of the executives from America, a separate company, of course, who came out and talked about, you know, this is what we do in America and this is what our penetration and so on and this is what we think you can achieve here. This is what we think you can achieve here. And, and Paul said, gee, I've always I've carried this around with me. Well, are you setting a, a goal or a ceiling? And that really resonated with me and it has sense. Are you setting a ceiling for yourself or are you setting a goal? John mm-hmm. McGrath talks about it as, as, you know, what are your mooring lines? And the thing with Paul is mm-hmm. everything's always possible. Anything's possible. And just freeing, having, having tools to free your own thinking. Okay, am I setting a ceiling here or a goal? Is this a mooring line for me? Um, or asking myself, uh, what would have to be true for this to work rather than saying, oh, it's not going to work. Well, what would have to be true for it to work? And then let's mm-hmm. examine that. Um, I think the other thing from Paul too is just the importance. Someone else said this, but this is what I get from Paul. If, if you're a half inch off at launch, you'll be 10,000 miles off when you hit the moon. Mm. And I think about all those businesses I was involved in that did it tough. You know, you can go back and you can look at them and you can go, geez, we, we made 
we made one or two killer assumptions at the start that killed the business. And in a couple of cases, the business was dead even when it opened the doors. It was like a zombie business because it had already mm. made the, you know, it had already had a critical assumption and it wasn't prepared to attack itself. Um, so, you know, we probably invest more time and we're, we're doing a couple of, we've always got little R&D things going on. We invest more time and energy in that first four weeks where you're trying to set those fundamentals than at any other time. Mm. Um, and arising from that, I guess the last thing I, I, I carry with me from Paul and, and I apply these and apply these things with, at home, as you say, and with kids is always be prepared to attack yourself, always be prepared to disrupt yourself. Um, Picasso, I think it's Picasso. I, it, it, these are the things that's kind of described, Paul. Picasso said success is dangerous. To, to copy oneself is more dangerous than to copy others. It, it leads to sterility. And I'm, that's something Paul practices. Always be prepared to disrupt yourself, challenge yourself. Um, never believe that what got you here from the past will get you there in future. Um, they're really strong things that have always come to me from Paul. Oh, they're gold, man. I tell you what, can I can I go back on thin climb? Sorry, what was that, mate? <laughs> I was just saying, there's gold at the end of that top, the top of that there climb. There that is. Good, isn't it? Well, the Harbour Bridge looks like a rainbow, so there you go. Um, can I go back to one thing you said that resonated with me was handling complaints, because yeah. as an audio engineer. I'm constantly getting feedback on stuff that I mix for people. In fact, before we recorded today, I was telling Gary about a particularly difficult client that I'm dealing with at the moment. And and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can either put up that defense and say, well, I don't care what you say. I know that's right. So that's what you're getting. Or you can listen to them and go, okay, yeah, there's some merit to what you have to say. Let's try it and see what happens. And if you if you don't listen to that, you miss out completely, don't you? Mm. You do. It's it's taking. I, I kind of learned. And listen, I I I used to work in an organisation a long time ago where we used to bunker ourselves down in the guest relations department and sort of put the walls up when when guests came in. And and um, it took a bit of enlightening to learn that there's an opportunity here. You know. Mm. Uh, by the way, Robbo, I this is my own personal philosophy, not necessarily one that's come from Paul. I, I don't believe in the axiom the customer is always right, which sounds a bit counter to what we've been talking about. I don't believe that every customer is always right. That bloke you were talking to about the audio, he he may not have been right, but what I do believe is the customer is always first. So in some situations, particularly with a high-value experience like ours, where you're investing a considerable sum of money, whether or not the customer is right is immaterial. They are first, and if this doesn't meet with their satisfaction, you've got to move beyond that whether they're right or not, and what do we have to do to make this experience work for you or, or recover for you, you know? Todd, you said before that, and, I, and I, it's a really nice statement, you said you wanted to make a hero of the bridge and a hero of the climbers. And yes. I think it was Dale Carnegie said way, way back when he, ran, when he wrote that um, super successful how to win friends and influence people and that a, a man's, there's nothing sweeter to the ear of a man than his own name. And the making a hero of the climber, you and your team have an interesting philosophy around people's names. And I know you put yourself through the rigors as well. Can you just share the story about um, with names and new recruits coming in and how important that is? Yeah, thanks, Gary. It, it actually is such a simple thing and so hard to do. <laughs> the simple <laughs> things often are, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
When you, when you get around in tourism a bit, you realise and you realise that the two things most important to every customer uh, are our name, and the second thing is where we're from. Mm. And very very early in bridge climb, a couple of our climb leaders, you know, this is where you learn from your team. It's so good not to have your own one puny core processor. It's really good when you've got two hundred core processors <laughs> in the business. <laughs> There was a couple of our climb leaders who'd been professional guides and, and, and they, they just had this ability to know the names of their climb leaders. And, and we, we saw this and we went, wow, that's, of their climbers, we went, wow, that's incredible. And we suddenly realised how it was just the most amazing surprise and delight for the customers. It was such a simple mm. thing. So, so it became, from that point, every climber, every name. And, and a climb leader has to has to um, say good day to their climbers, get introduced by first name, and then there's 14 in a group, and then they have to be able to use that name the whole 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 way through the experience. I reckon this is the thing. You, you, I reckon this is the thing beyond the view, beyond the bridge, and how awesome it is. It's the thing most customers talk about. I, I say to them now, look, did the did the climb leader remember your name? And, and the customer goes, oh yeah. That was amazing, and and they remembered where I was from, and mm. it's just the uh, what did Tom Peters call it? The the, the little big things, and mm. that's got to be the littlest, biggest thing, I reckon. And it was one of our team that taught us. And by the way, yeah, you mentioned about it being hard. I, I really struggle with it. I got to I got to work harder than anyone else to, to to try to do it. Sorry, what was that, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I do. I like even with my. We've got two hundred and fifty souls here, and and I've got all the team member photos on my computer in a folder. And every time I walk down the corridor and I don't know someone, I got to come back to my office and go, "Where's that photo?" I said, "Yeah, I got to work, really work." But it's, but it means you know, it just means so much. But at least you've got a process. That's a great yeah, process. Yeah, I've got a process. That's yeah, a great exactly process. Exactly right. Find a yeah. way to systemise it. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's not one of my strengths. It's honestly not one of my strengths. Do you know, Robbo, I heard a great story the other day about uh, a lady who took her son to see Gandhi. And she walked up to Gandhi and said, Can you tell my son to stop eating sugar? And Gandhi said, Come back in two weeks. So the lady went away. Two weeks passed. She came back with the son walked up to Gandhi and said, uh, "Can you, two weeks ago you told me to go away, it's now two weeks, can you tell my son to stop eating sugar? And he said, stop eating sugar. The lady went, is that it? He went, yep. He said, well, why didn't you tell him that two weeks ago? He said, well, two weeks ago I was eating sugar. So the lesson is for, <laughs> for us is that, you know, the nice thing, the, the reason I think it's a fantastic story is that I know that Todd does that and puts enormous pressure on himself when the kids come into recruitment or come into the process and stuff. But quite often the management send down these dictums to their staff, but they don't hold themselves to the same standard. So I think, it, I think it's a good lesson in that. When you told that story, I had this, uh, a vision of my son squatting in his bedroom, squaff, scoffing down lollies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't and know why. The funny thing? Uh, I don't know why. Because about 33 years ago, you were the kids. That's right. <laughs> it was me. Scoffing yes, down lollies. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> True. And I expect you at, at training on Thursday night if it's raining, yeah. I expect you to be the first one into the puddle into the in the pu- southern corner of the Yes, <laughs> that's right. I'm normally the one the mothers are screaming at going, why are you letting them do that? Uh, uh, 
Todd, what's been the um, uh, you've you've got some people in the business at Bridge Climb who've been there for a long time for. 10 years. I know you've got some people who've been there since day dot for 16 odd years. What are your, um, do you have any suggestions or thoughts for around recruitment training or sort of, you know, people management or, or people in general that you've taken in your time for such a successful business that has got now a track record of people hanging around, which in this day and age is quite unusual. Generally, I think that the 10 years, normally a couple of years and you go and try something different. Do you have any tips or tools that you have found uh, to be successful for you and for Bridge Climb? Yeah, finding the right people, all of us, is the most important thing we do. And ultimately, I, you know, there's, I, I don't want to use the, the swear word here, but there's the no dickhead factor. Um, mm. I, 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 met a, I met a new intake yesterday of 17 climb leaders that just started with us. And, you know, within five seconds, they, you, you meet eye to eye and there's a transparency and there's a what you see is what you get. Um, and it was there again yesterday. And, and, the, and the process the guys use to, to find our team sorts that out and you get people who are real. Um, and, I, you know, it's... That's that's actually one of the unique selling advantages of Australia. I think Australians, you get all sorts of different types of service all around the world in different countries. It's formal in some, it's about money in others and so on and mm. so on. What Australians are really good at is just being themselves. And I think what tourists love is we're just an Australian being an Australian, got it all out there, just the most down-to-earth, natural, authentic people on the planet. And... We're looking for that. We're looking for that for that realness in people. I think the other thing too is you make it really. The other thing I've learned is you, you're really, really strong about what your fundamentals are, and you know you say to people, "This is what we're about." If you believe what we believe, um, you'll love it here. If you don't, you won't. And you know mm. we sometimes joke about the odd person running screaming onto the street, but it happens. Mm. <laughs> and they've just got inside the culture and they've gone, I'd, oh, geez, this is not what I believe. So you, mm. in the end, it's, it, it's not every organisation's got to do it. What are you all about? And let's get people on board who believe what we believe. And it kind of goes from there. And I have found that over time you do get folks who, who um, are counterculture. And eventually... If, if you're strong enough and you've got enough people aligned, the, the organism kind of rejects the virus, if that makes sense. Mm, mm. Um, I think the only other thing I'd pass on is that, and I, I learned it myself, I learned it myself the hard way when I was a young manager. I was a real command and control guy. I'd been taught that way. Um, and I probably learned as time went on that it's not about me. Mm. <laughs> at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, about, it's about the team. It's about... It's about those 200 people out there and it's about our customers and you, you get into a mode of, of servant leadership and I, I I probably look for people and the people who've done best here are the ones, yeah, I saw it the other day in the celebration hour, they, they get up in front, of a, in front of 50 full-timers and they're talking about what you did and what this group over here did and what happened here for our customers that you all achieved and not once in their entire 10 minutes do they ever say anything about themselves? So what what is that? What what is just that? That's interesting. 
What's Celebration Hour? What is, what is that? Yeah, oh, yeah, we call it Celebration Hour. It's just a oh, – you talked before about systemising the name things. It's just trying to find ways to systemise the soft parts of the culture. As, well, they're really the hard parts of the culture, but the soft parts of the culture. So, yeah, we've got this thing where it really – you know what it came out of, Gary? It came out of the classic problem every organisation has, which is birthdays every other day of the week and therefore cakes mm. every other day of the week and therefore never-endingly expanding waistlines. And... <laughs> <laughs> And someone had the idea, well, let's just have one cake a month, eh? And we'll get everyone together. Oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. Well, hang on. Gandhi was eating sugar. (laughs) Hey? Gandhi was eating sugar. And he yeah, was yeah, thick. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened at that at that hour was we, as, as I'd stand up and say a few things that was really good, and and then all of a sudden we thought, wow, what a what a way to that sort of flywheel of positivity. If we if we have this once a month and we stand there, and all we do, and here's the only rule: you talk about all the good stuff, and mm. you find it in every little corner of the business. And you find the little heroes, everyday heroes everywhere. And your only rule is right now, not just Todd's going to talk about it, every department head's going to do it. And the only rule is, is you only talk about celebrations and you talk about positive stuff that's happened. And mm. look, that's actually been a really, really important part of the culture. Yeah, that's good. That, that is good, isn't it? You can do that, Robbo, with the, with the, with the boys at the uh, under 11s. Could- that's a nice, uh, yeah. that's a really nice thing you could do anywhere. I could do it with myself at the end of the work week too. Robbo, that was great this week. That mix you did for whatever, you know, that was fantastic. Yeah. And that other one over there, that was brilliant too. And yeah. <laughs> oh, God, get a room. Yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> they don't think here in the studio, buddy, we're going to have 365 <laughs> birthday cakes a year. <laughs> Every afternoon. Okay, it's celebration hour. Got myself a cake. Give myself a bit of a slap in the back. No, it's not a cake, it's a keg. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Celebration keg. That's the one. <laughs> um, now, we're going to wrap up, Todd, let you get back to uh, running the world's best attraction. Um, before we go, I just want to go back to the top of the show that we have a guy here in the studio with us who has got vertigo who um, is a bit concerned about going up on the climb. Uh, that, that must happen from time to time. There must be people who have that issue. What, what's, what, what, what do you say? What can we do about it? Is there a, a, a method to, to help Robbo? Yeah, you know, and actually to give Robbo a scientific name for his, um, what was it, morbid fear of endlessly falling or something. <laughs> falling to a watery <laughs> death. Robbo's actually, Robbo's actually got what is a really normal human condition um, called acrophobia. And, you know, we came down out of the trees and – we came down out of the trees, eh? And we haven't gone back up in the trees for a really good reason, I guess. And it's actually a really, really normal human condition. And no one's ever been able to give us real figures, but mm. we reckon that probably about 30%, 40% of us have got some sort of reaction to heights. Mm. And so it's pretty, A, so number one, it's pretty normal. So B, recognising it's pretty normal um, and that it can be a real achievement to get over that. I and mean, right from the very start, we, we thought about ways and techniques that we could help people what we'd be about robbo is we'd be you can do it you can do it and you know the surprising thing is is once you're up on the steel of the bridge there is a a 13 foot wide steel road up there Mm. you know and and the toughest part for most customers is not the arch it's it's fantastic up there it's actually just stepping out onto the approach span where you're about 20 feet up and that's all Mm. Mm. but um you know, I can I can share with you. I have uh, now Oprah and her partner, her partner Gail, um, her, her bestie who who went up on the bridge that day. 
Um, we're both pretty nervous with heights, and particularly Gail. But I can tell you the feeling of achievement they had when they mm. got there. Mm. And mm. all of our team, we, we invest a lot of time. And the techniques are really simple, actually. But you'd, you'd be up the front with one of our CLs, and you know they know exactly how to ease you through the process. Mm. And as you move through, that, that it just makes that achievement all the more astounding for you. Mm. Um, and that's been our experience. It is a normal human condition, and, ex- and accepting that it's a normal human condition, there are ways that we can make it happen for you. Mm. Is a sense of achievement also called a sigh of relief? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a bit of that too. <laughs> and and remember, that. Robo, that Vertigo is a very, very good album by U2. There so, you, you know, exactly. they, they, they too had a fear of the same thing. They had uh, acrophobia. <laughs> they were all acrophobias. <laughs> But the album helped them through it, buddy. So we could pump that up, put there it through some headphones. Crank it up. I think uh, it's it's funny. I It's hearing Todd talk about it. Before I had met Todd, we did some speaking jobs together. Before I had met him, um, I had already done the climb twice. Um, and I do not enjoy heights. And I I must say everything he's saying is true. It was an amazing celebration. And it's surprising how when you're doing the climb on that big road that takes you up, you don't think about it because you're more looking, I don't know, it's sort of almost like you're looking out as opposed to down. Uh, so I think, um, mate, you should have a crack at it because it is one of the, it is, it is a bucket list thing to do. Oh, look, it's something my wife wants to do and unfortunately mm. it's me that's holding her back, <laughs> to be honest. So, yeah, well, Robert, so, yeah. And, and you know, you just touched, you just touched on something too. Um, when, we, when we induct our team members, I, I asked them to think about um, someone close to them and I I ask them to think about now tell me how many moments can you think of between you and that person that both of you would say you'd remember for the rest of your life Mm. and it's really interesting when I do that exercise I've done it with hundreds of team members that you know less than 5% can think of more than 5 with that one person and that's where life and that's that's kind of a reflection on where life goes Mm. and things like the bridge climb and there are other experiences like it you do it with someone close to you Mm. and it it becomes one of those five moments. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think, one of the powers of what we do. So that might help you push through because from your wife's perspective, she'd love to have one of those five moments with you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and also there's a, a couple of people I'd probably love to walk up with but then drop them off at the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to help you with that. <laughs> hey, Wrong Todd, uh, Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do rapid fire. Rapid Fire Mojo. Quick answers to these uh, these couple of points, buddy. What's your best? Tra- Give you the fact you're in travel, uh, you're in attractions. What's your best travel tip for people? Oh, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but put your camera away, mm. put your smartphone away, and actually just experience it. I, the bizarre experience of going to see the Mona Lisa and nobody was looking at the Mona Lisa because they were busy taking selfies. Yeah. Um, put the, every now and then, put the camera away. Just experience it. That's gold. That's gold. What, what's your go-to band to get your mojo working? Oh, yeah, it changes every day, you know, Gary. Yeah, you too is not a bad one. <laughs> they just got some numbers. Like I, I, you, you mentioned them, but I think of that. Here's a, a free ad for the sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I think of that track on one of their recent albums, Magnificent. They've just got some really, they've just got some really dippy, you know, great stuff.
really love listening to it. It's amazing. Soundtracks, movie soundtracks. Because the people who wrote those soundtracks, they were all about creating an emotional response. See, that's good. Mm. And I love, I love the fact that you can dial into a soundtrack and just get the emotional response that the composer was wanting to get for you. Mm. And do you know what's amazing is that it's cinema people that get that, and there's a lot of people out there that don't. There's a classic line from George Lucas that says, um, it's a simple quote, just says 50%... No, sound is 50% of the picture, and I always live by that. I think that's a, a really awesome quote. Oh, bang on. Yeah, I haven't heard that, but bang on. The breweries will tell you that beer is 90% of the label. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. people drink with their eyes. People yeah. can't tell the difference between beers. <laughs> I just thought you could relate to that, Robert. Mm, I do. I <laughs> constantly, every night. <laughs> Close babe, your eyes, buddy. Babe, there's no labels in the fridge. <laughs> um and now, let's just go back to movies. That's interesting. Um, Todd, what's a scene from a movie that you have watched more than 10 times that always gets your mojo working? Wow. Wow, there's so many. Now, now the one that actually bizarrely has just popped into my head is a Peter Sellers movie. It was Ooh. called Being There. It was called Being There, and it's the final, the closing scene of the movie. And... It's the voiceover behind him as he's just walking through a forest and then he bizarrely walks out over a lake. You have to watch the film. He walks on water. But it's the voiceover behind him that's happening at a funeral behind him. I know that Ben said, keep it small and quiet. And I don't want to go against Ben's wishes. But I thought it would be good while our close friends are carrying Ben to his last resting place to read from his quotes. I have no use for those on welfare, no patience whatsoever. But if I am to be honest with myself, I must admit that they have no use for me either. I do not regret having political differences with men that I respect. I do regret, however, that our philosophies kept us apart. If you haven't seen it, go to, go to YouTube. I'm sure it's on there. The closing scene for being there. I don't know why, but nice. it, it probably helps you. It probably helps, has always helped me put stuff back in perspective. Mm. And um, you know, keep a total picture on things. That, that one just popped into my head. I was thinking of something else, That's but then nice. it did. That's really nice. Um, do you have a morning ritual? Yeah, I wake up. I swear. Um, <laughs> 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 because it usually takes thirty seconds for my brain to catch up with my body. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I either go for a run, a swim, or a hard walk, and um, yeah. and I think about nothing um, yeah. when I'm doing that. And that actually, that nothing space, and I've, I've probably learned actually in the last five years or so that having the nothing spaces is really important. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's mm. just when the brain's, maybe that's when my brain's doing all of its processing, but I actually need to sort of, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I find that really, yeah, yeah, great way to start. What are you? Uh, what are you reading at the moment? Gee, I'd love to say it was something really deep and meaningful, but it's, I'm actually reading um, a book on Warren Buffett. <laughs> Warren, <laughs> oh right, Warren Buffett. Hey, nothing shameful Which about one? that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and no, I'm reading a, uh, I'm reading a, a book on his investment philosophy. So there you go. Yeah. Do you know the name really of it? Do you, do you know which one? 
Oh, gosh, the Warren Buffett way. Oh, good. Okay, that's a good one. Excellent. Good but if you're looking out. for something to invest in, I've got um, 40 kids going to New Zealand in two years' time. We're fundraising for at the moment. Oh, thanks, mate. To play some rugby? It's on the list. Yeah. What's the return, Robbo? Raffle tickets. Raffle tickets. How many raffle tickets do you want? Uh, Now, final question for you, uh, Todd. If If you were me and I ran a business, if I wanted to improve the culture of my business immediately, if you were me, what would you do? What would be the first thing you'd do? Wow. Um... Be in service, Gary. Mm. Um, I, I think that's my reaction. I, 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 I serve my culture. I serve my customers. Serve my shareholders. Serve my team. And just from that that perspective, it helps me understand. Well, what are the? This gives me the starting point. Okay. Well, what are the things that are really going to matter to each of each of each of the folks that I've got to take care of? Um, and get and then get those fundamentals from there. Um, and and also, nice. real, I, 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 I'm going to go for the bonus point here, and I, I realise that I've only got one. I've only got one core. I've only got a one core processor in my head. I don't know about you guys, but um, <laughs> I, I, I need I need all, all every core processor I've got in the business as well. Mm. And That's always nice. be a student. There you go. I got three mm. out. Wow, that wasn't one, was it? Always be a student. <laughs> go to the top of the class. <laughs> He's such an overachiever. Uh, isn't he just? Yeah, I'm in trouble. Now I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, we're going um, to wrap it up, mate. This has been awesome. And uh, I have a quote uh, on my desktop uh, because we're talking attractions today and I'm a massive Walt Disney fan and Walt Disney said, do what you do so well that they will want to see it again and bring their friend. And I have to say that the stuff you've shared today makes me want to see the bridge climb again and take Robbo, take Robbo. <laughs> you just want to see me scream. <laughs> Basically, I want to see you suffer. Um, but, Todd, thank you so much, mate. You've been um, – this has been absolutely brilliant and there there certainly was gold at the top of that there climb and um, we thank you for your time um, and there's lots of great takeouts, mate, and uh, the, the and I know you've got lots of new initiatives coming up for the climbs that people should keep an eye out. How do people uh, – where would you send people to check you or the climb out? What's the what's what? what where would you send them? Oh, absolutely! Come to the website. Just come to bridgeclimb.com, and um, hopefully, we'll inspire you to to get this bucket list experience and, and and get one of those five moments. Is there any particular tip just on that? Is there any particular tip you would say to people in order to get the absolute? utopia bridge climb experience. Are there any inside secrets that you would say to anybody or any tips or anything you'd say to get that absolute number one experience? Do it with someone or some or, or people who are important to you. Um, having a special occasion can, can just really amplify it too. And um, twilight, twilight without doubt is, is the most incredible time to be on the bridge. You get the transition from day to night. Um, and you get to see the bridge and the city and all of its moods and colours, and that's pretty special too. That would be awesome. That would be worth climbing for. Now guys, thanks, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share some of the some of the some of the lessons. Still learning, guys. Still learning. <laughs> Aren't we all? That's nah, been great. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Good on you.
Thanks, Todd. Thanks, guys. Cheers. So, listen, what do you leave out for Santa Claus on Christmas Eve? Um, a carrot for the reindeers and cookies and milk. You better not pout. Better not cry. Cookies and milk. Cookies and probably be carrots and reindeer toys. Other stuff because he's going on a week journey. The big fat man is coming to town. The Mojo Radio Show. So that was really good. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for Todd. He's a, he's a good guy doing a wonderful job with a great, great product. Mm. I'm, I'm still not sure that I'll make it up there, but maybe I'll close my eyes and catch the elevator or something. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to work. I reckon we'll have to work on that bit. <laughs> now, um, we should wrap up. Is there anything else that you have for this show? Well, I didn't have anything, but, you know, I was just thinking during Todd about uh, what we were talking about at the big back at the beginning of the show about um, I thought I could um, smell something burning. <laughs> <laughs> That's the console. That's <laughs> you, you thinking. The wheels were in motion. The wheels were Where in motion. Yes, yeah, so I was thinking about what we were talking about at the head of the show um, about you know people who live who are living physically in the past, how it was aiding their mental health and their and their age and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I was thinking how that translates, you know, to even today where you've got. Um, entities and corporations that although they they operate in the present, they have a very watchful eye and a very respectful eye on their history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got talking to, to Todd about you too, and it, it, the two sort of merged into one super idea, I guess, or one super memory for me, probably more to the point, and one that should resonate with you too. So uh, I dove back through the, uh, the Voodoo Sound archives and um, was just wondering if this wound back the clock for you, Gabe. Digiwalls, Walls. The latest and greatest in hardware, software, and menswear. Let's, uh, let's check some of this bullshit out, shall we? Not offering a shot. Is that my shades that or is, is it dark in here? Next. And that was all we had. Are you are you corn oh. fed also? You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hope this shit works because it costs a fucking I fortune. I was harassed a lot in high school by mostly. No. No. Nice pictures though. I'll hang it in the gallery, but I don't think we're going to have it on Zoom. Hey. <laughs> Hello. 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 I'm Tom Bono. Who's this? Rob Duckworth. Narelle O'Connor. Hello. Hello. What are you doing in our television set this evening? Well, the other week on Hey Hey It's Saturday, uh, we had a contest that you might have been aware of, and uh, young Narelle, who's been uh, progressively getting herself wasted all afternoon because she's so nervous, uh, Narelle won the right to have her backyard on Zoo TV, and uh, here she is. This is Bono. All right, Narelle. How you doing? I'm good, yourself. I hope you're having some fun, but you're not going to have as much fun as we're having in Adelaide. Yes, we are. Where are you? In Nunda, Queensland. Queensland. Oh, we're going there next week. Excellent. Shit up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I they call you the Roadrunner. Can can Narelle ask one question? I've got a question for you, Bono. And that is, um, if you weren't the lead singer of U2, what would you be? If I wasn't the lead singer with you too. What would you be? I want to be the edge. Yeah. 
of that mine's vague <laughs> no I do that has actually got the synapses in my head far mm. that's got to be what early 90s or something yeah have a guess and I'll tell you if you're right oh I don't know 90 I don't know 95 something maybe mm, two years earlier 93 1993 1993 they Zoo were in, TV. they were in Brisbane I think you were in Sydney working for Triple M and I was yeah. working for Triple M in yeah, Brisbane yeah. and was actually in that backyard with Rob Duckworth when that all went to went to well not to air but live to the stage in Adelaide Well I was in Adelaide I was standing at the oh, front of house Were you in production with nice. the mixing because yeah. we had put that whole thing together so we probably should just to give context um, for this show. In fact, it's an interesting thing you should bring this up because it ties back to the story we just had about, you know, how much does the mind control our ageing. So it's a, it's a great, nice segue, man. Mm, um, I try hard. <laughs> does <laughs> it sound it? I've heard you're a try hard. Anyway, um, but also we get a lovely note from Kate, uh, a listener who sent a note in saying that she wanted to know more about the stuff that you and I had done and our our um, dark past. Mm. And we probably should just fill in the gap here that Robbo and I worked on that tour mm. with you too, which was a Zoo TV tour in 93, you said. Mm. And the interview you heard was Bono or Bono on stage <laughs> talking to a mate of ours who was Rob Duckworth, who was one of the best jocks on Triple M back in the era, back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. And that winner was in the backyard of their place in Brisbane, right, with you guys. That's and right. I was in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And that went, and it was a promotion that ran through um, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. That's right. Oh, wow. Another missing show. That's shows. fantastic. Wow. You, that, that, you got some good archives there, mate. Well, yeah, I, you know. Save everything. <laughs> you know what us production guys are like? <laughs> if there's, we're the hoarders of the electronic world, of the audio world. <laughs> exactly. Hoarders of the audio world. So what else have, um, what else have you got from 1993 uh, to jolt our memories and take us back to reignite the ageing in our mind? Well, would you believe, talking about sports stars who come and go, would you believe that that was the year that um, Shane Warne bowled his first ball to Mike Gatting oh, and he's probably really? one of the most famous bowls in the history of cricket. Well, yes. That's turned about two and a half feet. Gatting can't believe his eyes. What a start for Shane Warne. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that fires off some, um, some memories. The Brisbane Broncos beat yes. the Dragons 14-6 to, to win the uh, was back then it was a New South Wales Rugby League back then. Five seconds to go. The crowd take it out. It's not finished for Chris Jones, but it is now, and the grand final is over. Brisbane retain their title. Are you good thing? Essendon beat Carlton for the uh, Ooh, for the AFL Premiership. Yeah, no, we don't want to relive that. I'm a Carlton supporter, so we <laughs> we can let them in. <laughs> you know what else? It was um, the final episode of A Country Practice and I would have sworn that would have happened in the 80s. I didn't realise that was 93. 
Well, I probably wow. did, but I didn't remember. So, so music yeah. was back in that time. That would have been. I reckon you and I worked on the Bon Jovi tour as well. Was the '93 yeah. would have been? It would have been. Uh, I'm not sure what it was called, but it was Bon Jovi. I remember the hair. <laughs> Hey, you know what else happened back then? You remember, you remember Yahoo Serious? Oh, man, I worked <laughs> with him on, um, yeah, on Reckless Kelly yeah, and Reckless uh, Kelly. Young Einstein. Yep, times had changed, all right. The entire bank robbing division of the once world-famous Kelly gang had been reduced to just one man. Me. He was so hot at the time. He was, wasn't he? And where and are they now? We should do an episode of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to throw, hmm. I'm going to throw one to you. Hmm. Um, bad boys, bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? <laughs> that was in the early nineties as well. <laughs> and oh, Jesus, sorry, everybody. <laughs> on that note, we apologise. On that note, we should uh, we should close the show. We should um, bail. Anything else for you to update? Yeah, I, I promised an update on the meditation. Uh, oh, yes, good. So maybe I won't go into too much detail this time around because we don't want to blow the show up. But um, I've really noticed a difference in uh, attention span. Um, strangely enough, in sleep, I'm finding hmm. that I'm sleeping... I, well, I feel like I'm sleeping more deeply. Where I used to toss and turn, I sort of feel like I get into bed now and um, snuggle under the sheets, as um, Anna Devaner would be proud of and yeah. feel my pyjamas and listen to my breathing. But, yeah, I'm finding that I'm sleeping much better and my patience <laughs> is a lot, a lot stronger than it used to be. But that's I have felt you've been much more patient with me the last <laughs> week or so. That's a definite side effect, though, I have to say, is, is patience. So, um, so yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well done, mate. That's great. Anyway. Yeah. I found a story, a very good story of meditation that I sent through to you this week. I mm. will put I that in that. the show notes as well, mm. just for folks who want to think about a more efficient version of meditation and take mm-hmm. the pressure off of people thinking it has to go for prolonged yeah. periods of time. So I'll load that up. Yep. Ten minutes a day, folks. Yep, done. All right, Bert Whistle. Talk to you next week. Yep, out. Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.